Open your Bibles to Psalms 34. Psalms 34, we're going to begin reading with verse number 15. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. Now, I want you to listen to that. Psalms 34, beginning with verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all of their troubles. It didn't say some, but all. The Lord is nigh unto them which are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. And many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. And ministering just a few minutes this morning, I take as a title, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. Would you bow your heads? Father, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus. And we thank you for the privilege that we have to stand in this facility, this church, this tabernacle, this sanctuary with these, your people, to minister your word on this Sunday morning. We ask for your anointing. Help me to deliver this word. Help it to be a word of hope and a word of encouragement and faith in the hearts and lives of your people. And we give you all the praise and everybody said amen and amen. I want you to listen to this opening statement. You can't have a testimony without a test. Are you here this morning? You can't have a testimony without a test. And this life the life of the believer is a life where we have multiple tests. But if we believe the Lord, he will bring us through every one of them and leave us with a testimony. Let me give you a brief example. And this took place in 1949. Brother A.N. Trotter was one of the greatest expository preachers the Assemblies of God ever produced. He was a, the first 12 years of his ministry in the early, early 1900s, 1920s, uh, up until the early 30s, was spent in Liberia, West Africa, when it was called the white man's graveyard because 70% of all missionaries that went there died, most of them within the first 30 days of setting foot on Liberian soil because of black water fever and other diseases that we didn't have proper inoculation and vaccines for at that time. But he and his brother-in-law, H.B. Garlock, came to Liberia and literally brought the Pentecostal message to West Africa. And they, they saw a move of God. They saw miracles. They saw the dead raised. They saw blinded eyes open. They saw miracles that, that came strict, that would come out of the book of Acts uh, as you read them. He had left Liberia, came back to the States, was past, had pastored many churches, evangelized, did different things. But he went back in 1949 to Liberia to minister. He hadn't been in the country in several years. He was not in the capital city of Monrovia, but he was out in the bush, really cut off, really from civilization. It was, it was if, and by walking, it was days from where they were to where you could get to any place of any modern convenience or size. And they had to fly in, had a little grass strip, but they could only fly in at the time of the year they were there at certain times because of the weather. Every day during the time that they were there, at a specific time, because of where they were, in the, in, in the tropical rains would come every day about 12 noon, and it would rain and flood for about six hours straight. And so planes, uh, they didn't have any lights. They, they didn't have any radar back then in that area. So it was very dangerous to get in and to get out. So they had to be very careful when they came in and where they took out. They had finished, Brother Trotter, his wife, and his two sons, they had finished their time of ministry there. They were going to fly out, and uh, the plane was coming in. The plane landed, and the rains were getting ready to come in. And uh, 
they had all of their luggage and everything ready to uh, load up. But when they got to the plane, they found that a Liberian official that was not supposed to be on the plane had made the plane stop at another place, pick him up. So there was no room for all of the family. So Brother Trotter loaded up what luggage they could. He got on the plane. His son, one of his sons got on with him, and his wife and other son would fly out the next day. That was the plan. As the plane turned and taxied down and began to take off, you know that a plane cannot take off unless it has enough wind. And as he was trying to take off, the wind stopped. All of a sudden, it became totally lifeless, as if wind did not exist. The pilot, who was a very experienced pilot, trying to take off, kept trying to pull back on the road, trying to pull it back up. But when they topped the ridge and it dropped down, the plane stalled. And those, the missionary that was in charge of the mission station and a few other people that were there, they saw the plane go over and they heard the explosion. They immediately ran. It took them over an hour to get down to where the plane had crashed. And when they got down there, it was just a, a broken hulk of a plane. And, and miracle of miracles, because of the rains that had now come, it didn't explode into a fiery inferno. And when they got Brother Trotter, when they pulled him out, they could not recognize him. His right eye was literally hanging out of the socket by a few strands of muscle. The whole right side of his face was caved in. His son said that it was like you could fit a man's fist in the cavity in his face. The whole side of it was crushed. All the bone was completely crushed. And he was moaning in pain. His body, he had broken ribs, uh, arms broken. I mean, he was a mess. And when they tried to get him up, he began to scream in pain. They got him up the rough hill, and they got him in the little mission station. But all they had was a little nurse that was not really capable of tending to a tragedy such as this. And, and, and they, they didn't know what to do. They got on the radio, and they, was, they were able to get in contact with another mission station. And they told them what had happened to Brother Trotter. And they said, we need a miracle. You've got to get a plane over here. And they said, we can't. The rains have come. The heavens are shut. There's no way that we can take off. And Brother Trotter was in that little makeshift aid station, and he was moaning. He was in such intense pain, pain like you've never experienced before. And finally, the next day, Two missionaries got in a little plane and they said, God, we know what the weather is. And we know right now, according to the flight plan, we cannot see a path in. But God, we're asking you to hold back the clouds, to push them back. Let us get through. We have a man of God that's dying and we have to get there. And they took off and they began to get close and they began to pray. Lord, and it was black everywhere. Like I said, there was no radar. There was no flying by instruments. And, and the wind was buffeting and dark clouds and the plane was being thrown around. And they began to join in prayer and say, God, you've got to open up a way. We've got to get this man out. And he said it was like two hands came out of the heavens and began to part the clouds. And all of a sudden, sunshine begin to shine through. He said, on the right storm, on the left storm, but right in the middle became perfectly calm. The sun shining. They landed, taxied up to the little aid station. They were waiting. They grabbed Brother Trotter, put him in that stretcher, brought him in, laid him in the plane, and they took off. They went to the other mission station where there was a doctor and a nurse, and the nurse and doctor, they were married. It was an Australian nurse and a French doctor. And they got him in there. And there was another little nurse that was Pentecostal. Yeah. Two nurses, one doctor. And the doctor worked on him and worked on him and finally said, he's dead. There's nothing we can do. I can't find a pulse. 
His body is broken beyond recognition. There's no way we can put his face back together. I can't put his eye back into the socket. I, 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 that is beyond my expertise. Pull the, the blanket over his head and said, we will bury him in the morning. Now, where they were, they didn't have the means to embalm a body, so they had to bury the body within 24 hours of death because it would swell, it would bloat, and the smell, the nauseous of all the gases would be horrible. And, and the doctor and his wife went to bed that night, but that little Pentecostal mis uh, nurse missionary determined that she was going to sit by his bed with that sheet pulled over his head. And all of a sudden in her spirit, she began to cry out to God, Lord, I don't believe this is you. I don't believe this is your will. God has raised up Brother Trotter. He has a legacy that he has left in this country of the Pentecostal message. And, and Lord, you're using him in the States. And, and I don't believe his time is through. And I don't know what you have to do. But I'm asking you to perform a miracle. You raised the dead before. You can do it again. And said so she was there praying. And all of a sudden, she felt the presence of someone else. And she looked up, and in the little area where Brother Trotter was laying, there was a door that led outside and, and, and then a screen door. And they would leave the screen open because they had no air conditioning, and it was it, the humidity, the heat was horrible. And she said, there was a man standing there. But instead of being afraid, she said, I felt at peace. And all of a sudden, the screen door opened. And the man walked in, and when he did, the room lit up. And there was a glow about him. And she said, I looked at him, and I recognized it was Jesus. Amen. Jesus still makes house calls. Amen. Oh, are you here this morning? I said, Jesus still makes house calls. Hallelujah. I don't care if you're somewhere in Liberia where you can't find it on a map. If you're a child of God, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. And the Lord walked her. She said the Lord walked over and just stood looking over his bed, turned and looked at her and said, I've heard your cry. He's going to be all right. I've got him in my hand and turned and walked out. And she jumped up, put her hand on his wrist, and said, I felt the pulse. And I started running through the house. And I woke up that doctor and nurse, and I said, he's, he's got a pulse. He's got a pulse. And the doctor said, impossible. It is impossible. And at first, didn't want to get up. And she said, I'm telling you, the man has a pulse. And he jumped up finally and ran in there and put his hand and said, my God, he does. Get the saline. Let's get some, let's get some fluids into his body. And uh, two or three days later, he was still alive. They were able to get another plane to come in. And they had already made arrangements to get him to New York City, to one of the most famous hospitals. And, and, and when they got there, the doctors looked at him and they said, it's going to take us a minimum of six months. He'll be in the hospital for six months. We're going to have to construct, reconstruct the whole side of his face. Uh, we're going to have to put his eye back in the eye socket and reattach all of the muscle to where it should be. And then we're going to have to have the plastic surgeons come in because if we don't, his face will be hideous to look at. And so they were expecting this long ordeal. But that the next morning when they went in, they had several surgeons working together because they said at the very minimum it's going to be 12 hours that we're going to be operating on him and we're going to operating be operating on him in tandem and of course brother trotter and his sons had finally made it to new york his wife had finally made it and they were anxiously awaiting and at the end of 12 hours the doctor walked out and said it's a miracle it's a miracle i was able to do in 12 hours what I thought was going to take six months. I've got everything. I can't t explain it to you. But I've got everything back into place. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody needs to praise the Lord. 
Somebody needs to lift up their hands. He said, I've got an eye surgeon coming in. I want to make sure that I've got all the muscles reattached and, 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 and everything done. But he said, outside of recovery, I don't know how to explain it, but he's going to make it. He's going to walk out of this hospital. And Brother Trotter lived for nearly 30 more years preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand something this morning. You are a child of God. He loves you. The Word of God proclaims that we are the apple of His eye. He sees you. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. Don't let the devil lie to you and tell you you're out here by yourself, that you're having to walk this path by yourself. I'm here to tell you on the authority of God's word that he sees everything that happens to a child of God. And we're living in an unsure time. We're living in a time we don't know. What, I mean, I'm almost hesitant in the mornings to look at the news. I mean, to know what craziness has gone on in Washington in the last 24 hours when I look at it and when I recognize the creeping in of socialism and communism. And, and let me tell you, socialism and communism, they're just religion. It's a religion of darkness. It's a religion of demons. It's a religion of devils. And it's a religion that will seek to enslave and ensnare and take away our freedoms. And that's, let me tell you, I've been to uh, uh, over 80 countries of the world. And I would rather live in the smallest backwater town of America and then the greatest capitals of Europe. Uh, because there is no country greater than the United States of America. There is no country without our freedoms. There is no country with our rights and our privileges. And, and I look at the crazies that we've got in Washington and I look at what's happened and I wonder what's going on. But one thing that I hold on to is I'm not afraid of what tomorrow holds because no matter the craziness in Washington, no matter what laws they try to impact, no matter what they try to do, there is a God in heaven that overrules who sets up kingdoms and takes down kingdoms uh, and he has promised he said upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And I'm going to declare, I prophesy right now that the greatest days of America and the greatest days of the church are not behind us, but they are ahead of us. I'm here to tell you, I believe a move of God is coming. I believe that the Spirit of God is still going to be poured out in a way like we've never, I believe blinded eyes will be open. I believe the deaf will hear. I believe the lame will walk. I believe homosexuals will be set free. I believe transgenderism will be broken. That spirit will be broken. I believe a move of God is coming and I believe the church's greatest days are ahead. I didn't say denominations. I, actually, I believe the day of denominations is over. I believe that. I believe that they've served their purpose and they're irrelevant in the grand scheme of the work of God. I believe it's down to the individual. God is just looking for a man and a woman that will say, here I am, use me. Here I am, use me. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Now, that doesn't mean it's wrong to belong to a denomination. Don't go out and say, I said that. I did not say that. And I don't believe that. I just believe that it's the individual. God works through individuals. He doesn't work through committees. He doesn't work through superintendents or overseers. He works through individuals. That's the work. That's the plan of God. And I believe that. And I, I, I listen, it's crazy. I mean, if you would have told me four years ago we would be going through what we're going through right now. I mean, we just came through this man-made pandemic, and everybody was hoping, you know, 2021 will be different than 2020, man, nothing changed. And, and, and I don't, I don't want to get political, but I want to tell you, none of this is by accident. This is government's control to determine how much freedom we can take away from the people. Now, don't misunderstand me. The virus is real. It's real. 
But it all, all it is is another variant of the flu. Stronger. That's all that it is. COVID-19. You know, what that, you know why it's called 19? That's because there's been 18 other coronaviruses before it that we have never found a vaccine for. Hello? And yes, we should take precaution. Yes, especially if you're of a certain age. And if you have certain underlying health, of course, by all means, we need to be careful and do all of that. But not enough that it demands that our churches shut down and businesses shut down. I mean, we came through the Spanish flu in 1918 and 1919 that killed 50 million people around the world and nearly 1 million Americans, and we never shut down one business. We never stopped having one church service, and we came through it. And we're going to come through this. We're going to come, and I thank God you got a decent governor in this state. You need to pray for your governor. And it, it is so crazy when you realize, you know, I saw yesterday the COVID deaths have topped one million. No, they haven't. They, that's, that's not true. You know, in October, the CDC released the latest report. Uh, why am I getting off on this? I don't know. <laughs> It's just a burr under my saddle, and it ticks me off. <laughs> the CDC, and you know, they've been telling us, what do they tell us? Follow the science. Well, have you ever noticed none of the science agrees? Right. This scientist says this. This scientist says this. You got to stand six feet apart. So does that mean that if we're five feet, eight and a half inches away, that COVID says get them? Think, think about it. Think about it. Well, that's the distance your breath travels. No, it's not. That's a lie. That's not true. First of all, you got to determine which way the wind is blowing. Did you know that? If the wind is blowing against you, your breath goes behind you. Hello? If the wind is behind your back blowing with you, did you know that your breath can travel up to 14 feet? However, because of the wind, it's so diluted. I heard a lady in the bank. He said, my doctor told me if somebody breathes on me, I'll die. And I wanted to turn around and say, no, you're not. You might need to, but you probably are not. I mean, my dad's 85 years old. And he won't put a mask on. He said, I'm not scared of this. Now, he'll wear it to go into a restaurant because he's like, I don't want these old people to freak out. I'm like, you're an old man yourself. <laughs> Mother, you, you know, you're just like, this stuff is stupid. But, but you know, it, it, but it's, a, it's a power play to see how much freedom can be taken away. We've almost bankrupted you realize that 40% of the restaurants in America will never reopen? The livelihoods. Some of these restaurants have been in families for 30, 40, 50 years. Gone. We have to wear masks. But you notice the ones enforcing the rules do what they want to do? Oh, I'll go to a oh, Don't get me started again. But they're, they're, it, it, it's It's crazy. And I don't know how it's all going to end. But this I do know. We are children of God. Hello. We're not orphans. We have a father in heaven. We have an elder brother. That is the creator of the sun, the moon, the stars. The one that we serve said, let there be light. 
and light was and continues to be at 186,000 miles per second. That's the power of the spoken word of our creator. Our savior is the one that said, let us go down and make man in our image and took some mud and clay and formed the image of a man. And the word of the Lord says they knelt down and breathed into them and man became a living soul. Hallelujah. If he can make a lump of clay to become a living organism, he can take care of your junk. He can take care of your problem. He can take care of the mess of your life. Hallelujah. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. The eye, oh, you got it. I feel the eyes of the Lord. When you get up, he sees you. When you get in the car to go to work, he sees you. When the tears fall down your cheek, he sees them. He notes the hair on your head. And if you ain't got any hair on your head, he knows how much hair should be on your head if you had hair on your head. <laughs> Hello. Now, I want to tell you something right now. I want to tell you something right now. I'm going to have hair. I am not going to be bald. I don't care if I get fat. I am going to have hair. I'm not going to do a comb over and blast the ozone with 14 cans of hairspray. Guy jumps in the pool. He gets up. He's got hair hanging down to here on one side and nothing on the other side. No, I'm not doing that. I'm going to have hair. It ain't going to be no toupee either. And I don't care if they got to sew it on, glue it on, staple it on. I'm going to have hair. I don't care if it's dog hair, doll hair. I'm going to have hair. And now with so with all this stuff, you see those commercials, Bosley, I, like, I write the number down just in case. I tell the guy who cuts my hair, I said, if you see anything, if you don't tell me, you're fired. Because the moment you see something, I'm calling that number on the screen. <laughs> but the eyes of the Lord are upon you. You don't know your worth as a child of God. Your worth is so great that everything the Lord has done, He's done it for you. Creation was for you. The miracles were for you. Calvary was for you. The resurrection was for you. The rapture is for you. Hallelujah. Two great promises are given to us in verses 15. Verse 15. First, he said, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. Nothing escapes the purview of the Lord as it regards his children. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how many children, grandchildren, or great-grandchildren you have. When they come into the room, they fill up the room. Doesn't matter who else is in the room. You take notice of blood of your blood and bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. Hello? Am I telling the truth? Absolutely. And my kids are 43, 40, and 41. But when I see them, I see them as they were little, running around, playing. They're mine. When I see my grandkids walk in, my eyes fill up with joy. I give them whatever I got. I buy so many pairs of tennis shoes, I think I'm become nothing but a Nike rep. <laughs> Every time I go to one of them's house, pops, I know, let's go to the mall so you can get the latest tennis shoes. I know, let's go. But I love it. Sure. I love it. I want them to have the best. And I will go without to make sure they have the best. Hello? You're the same way with the Lord. His eyes are upon you. And I, I gave you, I, I said it a moment ago, that you are the apple of his eye. That's a Hebrew idiom. Meaning that whatever he focuses upon, that fills up 
his eyes. The proverb Solomon wrote in Proverbs that we are apples of gold in baskets of silver. Most people read over that. They don't know what in the world he's talking about. It's a figure of speech. He's meaning that the apple of gold is, represents a symbolic of the Lord Jesus Christ. Gold. When it's clean, it shines bright. Its worth is now, what, over $1,000 an ounce, whatever it is. And we which are inferior, we're the silver. But God, through His Son, has chosen that we become the basket. The baskets of silver that He places the gold in. Oh, some of you will get that about 3 o'clock this morning when I'm already at home in Baton Rouge and in my own bed. (laughs) And... He watches over us in order to do good for us. It blows my mind that some of Christians, their their view of the Lord is that he is some uh, creature in heaven, angry, waiting for somebody to step out of line so he can crush them like a bug. No, 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 no. He is a loving God. He is a merciful God. His mercies are new every morning. He is long-suffering. Listen, we make a mess out of things so many times, but he will never turn. If we will come to him, he will in no wise cast us out. That's the promise of the word of Almighty God. But he not only sees his children, but he hears their cries. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 and 8 says, And the Lord said, this he said this to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrow. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptian. Right there in that verse, he tells us God sees you. God hears your cries. God knows your sorrows. But God's not willing to let it stop there. There's a lot of people that see. But God has the power to come down and do something about it. Hallelujah. And let me, he's no respecter of persons. And what he did for the Israelites in Egyptian bondage, he'll do it today. Hallelujah. Because we have a better promise based on a better covenant based on a better savior for our Lord is greater than angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the law. He's greater than the tabernacle. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords and there is no God like our God. Hallelujah. It said the Lord is near unto them who are of a broken heart. And save such as be of a contrite spirit. This is what is called in theology a qualifying verse. What do you mean by qualifying verse? Well, I mean that there's certain things in times of the Bible, there's certain criteria that we have to meet. You can't be saved until you meet the criteria of repentance and faith. And acceptance. It gives us the qualification that every one of us must meet. And, and, and it is the qualification of humility. Now let me read that verse again to you. The Lord is near unto them who are of a broken heart. What of, and the broken heart doesn't mean you're broken over circumstances that are in your life, of, of tragedies. It, it has... It lends itself to that, but it is really meaning a broken heart because you have knowledge and understanding that you're not living up. You're falling below. 
You, you recognize we're falling short. You recognize that within yourself, there is no good. That left to your own ability and your own device, you will screw up your life every time. And it, it, it is an ongoing like, Lord, I mess up so much. But thank God you're merciful. Amen. It's an acknowledgement and an understanding of how fallible we are and how infallible he is. Psalms 51, 17 says, the sacrifices of God. This is the prayer of David. Psalms 51 is the greatest prayer prayed, recorded in the Bible. It's the prayer of repentance. And David said in 51, 17, he said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. An acknowledgement in your own heart that I'm nobody. Within my own self and my own devices, I'm going to take the wrong path every time. That within me lies the capability to do the reprehensible. And it's only by the grace of God that I walk spiritually upright. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. You know, the, the David was the only man, and you know, you should know this. The only man that Scripture recorded, a man after God's own heart. Didn't say that about Paul. Whom he would give the revelation of the new covenant. <coughs> but about David. But yet David was guilty of murder. Adultery. In the latter years of his life, he committed the sin of numbering the men, the fighting men of Israel, without paying the temple tax, which the law of Moses demanded that every time a census of the fighting men of Israel was taken, that a half shekel per man was to be given to them. And it was done for this reason, to ever remind Israel that their strength was not in the size of the army, but in the power of God. But he lifted up in pride just as he was when he murdered Uriah, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. The Bible said over 70,000 men died because of David's sin. It's bad enough when what you do causes one to be harmed, but your actions are responsible for multiple thousands. So why would God say of David that he's a man after God's own heart? Well, you just need to read the 51st Psalm. Against you and only you have I sinned. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Renew in me a clean heart. In other words, in no matter the failures of David, he never blamed anyone else. He said, I have done it. I and only I have sinned against you, God. In Isaiah 66, he said, but to this man will I look, even to him who is poor and a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. The word poor here means to be humble, downtrodden, oppressed, pious. And it speaks of the person who knows that within himself he cannot please or find favor with God through his own efforts. There is no dependence of self. There is no dependence upon one's ability. There's no dependence on one's own works. But our dependence is upon Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Hallelujah. It is the exact opposite of self-righteousness. Works will always produce self-righteousness. 
And self-righteousness is one of the most horrible sins. In the, let me tell you, I would rather deal with a church full of people bound by drugs or alcohol than a bunch of self-righteous Christians. Because there's nothing more ugly than the Christian says, look at me. What is there to look at? But we, we, the whole idea is that we see ourselves as God sees us. In other words, we don't, you know, there, there, there's, there is three types of righteousness in the world. There's the righteousness of God, which is undeserved, cannot be earned, but is given as a free gift at the moment a believing sinner comes to God. You become the righteous of God. Righteousness simply means right. That which is right. You were wrong. You were dead in sin and trespasses. Now you are right because you are a new creation. And God has bestowed upon you His righteousness. It is a borrowed righteousness. You don't own it. It belongs to him. But he lets us use it. Do you get this? That's like somebody said, here's my credit card. There's no limit. Go. Yes, sir. Then there is self-righteousness. That is, look at me. I am... Look at what I've done. I pay my tithe. I never miss a service. I do this. I do that. And one becomes lifted up. But then there's another, a third righteousness that's prevalent in the church. And this is the majority. It's called relative righteousness. Come on. What do you mean by relative righteousness? Well, I know I'm not doing as good as I can, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so. See? We find somebody to a lesser degree to compare ourselves to. And the dishonesty of that is that we're still refusing to see ourselves as God sees us and acknowledge who we are. Lord, I am nothing without you. I'm the biggest failure. I'm the biggest, I'm the worst of the worst. It is only by your mercy and your grace that I'm able to live this life. There's nothing within me. I don't deserve anything but judgment and wrath. But thank God for your mercy and grace. You have sent your son who 2,000 years ago took upon himself the wrath, the judgment that I deserved. And instead of punishment, you have given Giving us mercy and grace. Hallelujah. The phrase and trembles at my word proclaims the fact that the word of God is the criteria for everything that we believe. It's not what you think. It's what God has already declared. It's not the constitution and bylaws of your denomination. It's the word of God. I can remember 35 years ago, an Assembly of God preacher pulled up the, picked up the constitution and bylaws. Let me just let help you too. If the constitution and bylaws of your church is bigger than the Bible, you got a problem. (laughs) You've already got a problem. And he pulled it out and he laid it beside the Bible and said, they're one and the same. I said, well, if that's the case, why are you always changing your rules? Hello? Because right is right. Right cannot change. What is right today was right 2,000 years ago. Hello? Are you here this morning? I mean, God cannot change. What was wrong is wrong. What is right is right. And if you're changing your, well, we've had a greater understanding. Oh, that means you didn't have an understanding before. So there's only one criteria that we judge our life. And that is, is it according to the word of God? 
And that's the reason why you've got to know the Word of God for yourself. Don't leave it up to me. I'm a human being. I might get something wrong. Are y'all even here this morning? I'm just wiping off the dust to make sure the view is clear. It's like, you know, I've got, uh, uh, I've got over 2 million miles on Delta Airlines, a million on American. And that would be like getting on the plane and the pilot says, welcome to Delta Airlines, flight whatever to so-and-so. I just want to let you know that I just got my pilot's license <laughs> last week. <laughs> and I really haven't been certified on jumbo jets yet. But, we're ha- but they've given me the privilege of flying, and so welcome on this plane. Well, I, listen, I don't know about I, I love the Lord. I trust God, but I'm getting off that plane. <laughs> and if it's already taken off, I said, give me a parachute. <laughs> I was, it, when, 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 when my kids were in college, I was preaching in North Carolina. Saturday after, late Saturday afternoon, I was fixing to get up and get dressed for church. And phone rang. I saw his Matthew, my youngest son. I said, hello. He goes, Dad, what? Guess what I just did. I said, what? I just jumped out of an airplane. I said, what? Yeah, I went skydiving. Well, was it tandem? No. I strapped on that chute and jumped out of that plane myself. I said, my God, have I raised an idiot? (laughs) Not harder. I'm canceling the rest of my, I'm coming to Oklahoma right now, and I'm going to beat the ever-living daylights out of you. Why do you want to jump out of a perfect good airplane? Well, if the pilot says, I just, (laughs) It, it, it means that, when he says, trembles at my word, it means that the believer, we are conscious of our sin. You see, That's the work of the Holy Spirit, to convict of sin. The Lord wants you so close. You know, the Bible said that, let me put it this way, you can get as close to Jesus as you want to. You can stand apart, or you can be as John, the disciple who laid his head on the breast of Jesus, which means he could hear the very heartbeat of the Son of God. You can get as close or as far. The closer you get, the more the Holy Spirit can convict. It, it's like when you are, if you notice, like if you, and I don't know that much about diamonds or whatever, but I know that when you go to, they will, they take that little, and they look at it, and they shine bright light on it because the brighter the light the light reveals the perfection or the impurities as a child of God the greater the light of the gospel shines in your heart the more the impurities of your own life you see we, we become the more the word is in us and the, the closer we are to the Lord the more freedom and latitude the Holy Spirit has. That's the reason why I don't need somebody to tell me that's not right. Because the moment I do it, I know it's not right. right. Now, I may not understand it, but I know in my spirit there's a check. Don't do that. That's not right. And this is what is not what confuses people. Sometimes it may be right. And sometimes it may be wrong. It depends on the situation. In other words, I'm talking about your actions or your response. It said, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Very plain forward. The life of the believer is not a life of ease and comfort. There are afflictions. There is heartbreak. There is hurt. There is weeping. Weeping may endure for the night, 
but joy comes in the morning. Do you know what the word joy there means? It doesn't mean happiness like everybody thinks. The literal translation of it is song. Weeping may endure for the night, but in the morning comes a song. Hallelujah. That's really, that's the literal translation of that particular passage. It is a life fraught with ups and downs. Great hilarity of joy. And great sorrow of brokenness. It's not an easy life. There is a thief who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy us. And, and no, notice the terminology, many. So you're not just going to go through a one or two trial and that's it. The reality of the life of the believer is you're either coming out of a trial or you're getting ready to walk into one. But all of this is done for the reason to learn trust and dependence upon the Lord. In the book of Deuteronomy... I'm closing right now in one minute and 42 seconds. I just made that up. It's like the evangelist heard say, now when I say I'm about ready to close, that means nothing. But it does with me. I don't like long-winded preachers, especially me. It, It... The thief comes not but for what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's the, in the book of Deuteronomy, God spoke to Moses right before Moses died. And spoke through him to the children of Israel and told them the following. He said, it was I who led you through the wilderness. Not Moses, but me. I'm the one that led you through the wilderness. And I did it so that you could see your own heart. To see whether you would trust me. To whether you would depend upon me. Because all of these afflictions that come are for the express purpose to teach us trust and dependence upon the Lord. And here's the, here is how Satan works. He gets us into a situation. We think we're not going to make it. He wants to cloud your mind, get you to think, I'm not going to make it. But all you got to do is stop for a moment, take a breath, and look back on your life. You're, you've gone through afflictions before. And he's brought you out of them. Hallelujah. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all in order that he may turn your test into a testimony so when the next time somebody comes you don't know what I'm going you could say brother sister let me tell you what the Lord has done in my life stand to your feet this morning lift your hands and begin to worship him and praise him